welcome to Recess Tonight. I am Rob. I'm Pandemic Allen. Okay, so that's that's cool. Uh, let's go with that one, I guess. So today is just going to be a quick um, podcast about a, a pretty poignant topic that um, obviously is at the top of the mind for for many eMERGE and uh, ICU nurses, recess nurses out there. And uh, so we want to talk about the current uh, COVID-19 pandemic that's occurring. Yes, and we want to speak to it from the nursing lens uh, because the information out there is fastly evolving at such a quick rate and there's a lot of info. But we want to be able to provide the, the nursing considerations that you can take and apply tomorrow. Keep in mind, things may change. This podcast was recorded. March 13th, 2020. At approximately noon. So if it changes by two in the afternoon Pacific time, <laughs> then this is all garbage, just like the rest of our podcasts. Uh, okay, um, let's uh, jump into it. So can I just give the quick like 30-second rundown on what the virus actually is? Can I ever say no to you? <laughs> uh, you said no to my first date request. So COVID-19 is actually the syndrome of uh, of symptoms that are actually from the actual disease. The disease itself is actually SARS-CoV-2. The uh, syn- the constellation in the in the symptoms is actually COVID-19. That's where it all came from. The coronavirus is just the big umbrella term for all those types of viruses. All right, that includes like meta-human pneumovirus and um, the other common colds and whatnot. But for the purposes of consistency for this podcast, we're going to just call it COVID-19. You cool with that? Yep, I'm fine. All right. Excellent. So um, I don't think we need to talk about the history because I think that uh, it's probably quite well covered. In fact, I would recommend our reading uh, our friend Salim Rezai's website, rebelem.com, and his COVID-19 summary dated March 1st, 2020, which will give us uh, a good background. Um, Moving forward, I just want to preface this with that nurses are often the first contact for patients when they come to the hospital. So it's prudent for us to uh, re-review the nursing considerations. So I'm just going to cover PPE. So first and foremost, there are these guidelines are rapidly evolving. And remember, this is only a podcast recorded in a static time uh, on a static date and time by two dipshits, <laughs> by two dipshits, one bigger than the other. Um, so I'll speak to three guidelines that are most applicable to North America. But again, please ensure your local policies and procedures are followed. Okay, so for We are based in Canada, and we currently follow the Canadian and the WHO guidelines. So the first line of PPE for a suspected uh, influenza patient or COVID-19 is droplet, which includes a surgical mask with a face shield covering the mucous membranes of the eyes, uh, a a non-permeable gown, and gloves, just like you would do for an influenza. It's when we... uh, it's when we generate the aerosol procedures like um, intubation or nebs that Rob will talk to later that you need to then wear the N95 plus uh, eye protection plus a uh, water permeable gown, impermeable gown, and gloves. 
Now, the United States CDC currently says suggests to use N95 plus the gown plus the gloves plus eye protection, which is different than the WHO and the Canadian guidelines. Those are the facts. Those are the the decisions made by those local health authorities, and our best recommendation for you is to follow that. The key here for the listener is remember what we know is that this is droplet transmission. And no different than how you would protect yourself from influenza. The key here is that the corona, the COVID COVID nineteen seems to be more virulent, and its transmission seems to be much easier than the normal influenza. Okay, so if I'm getting this right, we want to make sure we are protecting ourselves appropriately with uh, using correct precautions per local procedures. But realistically, we're looking at worldwide trends on this stuff as well. Um, okay, so I've got that. That sounds really good. Now, to go with PPE, I think safety. This is a great place for it to live, and so maybe I'll speak to just a really small piece. And that really small piece is choice of treatments when you have choice of treatments. So let's talk first about someone needs ventolin, subutamol, you know, um, albuterol, whatever you're calling it. So with that, you have some options. You have nebulizer. I would argue that that is a poor choice um, as you're essentially going to start aerosolizing the uh, virus, aerosolizing the virus. Then if we relate it back to your PPE talk, that concerns me with having an N95 versus having a surgical mask, getting into the massive weeping sores that are called my eyes on my face, all that kind of good stuff, and the more difficulties that are associated there. So if you think about it, and there is, I mean, don't get me started on the on the, the data behind using NEBS versus MDIs to begin with. But in this case, I think we're even further in the benefit to using MDIs with a spacer on that patient, as we're not going to be aerosolizing the uh the, the, the virus that's found deep in the lungs or if it's moved up into the um, upper respiratory tract at that point as well. And so using that spacer, great choice. Go for that one. Um every single time, in, in my opinion. Um, and I, I actually think that should be your baseline to begin with. Second is going to be, what about when these patients become extremely ill and we need to intubate them? Because that is going to happen. We're going to be tubing in these individuals at, at certain points. And so there is some, some good information from um, obviously another phenomenal source that's out there, um, the Inter- Internet Book of Critical Care that's currently housed on MCRIT uh, in the COVID-19 project. And so... Down there um, on that page, there is a phenomenal um, uh, piece of, of information around the use of high-flow nasal cannulas and how we're going to pre oxygenate these people. Using a BVM is going to be rife with potential problems for these folks, unfortunately, as we can have, again, some aerosolization of, of what's going on. So adherence to use of your bacterial viral filters is going to be very important um, uh, with these folks. But an interesting piece is going to be around uh, a line that uh, the MCRIT team wrote down here about using high-flow nasal cannulas, that using use of moderate flow rates for those, which would be 15 liters to 30 liters per minute, should be not too, too bad, as opposed to using high-flow nasal cannula, per defined by MCRIT, as going to be 40 to 60 liters per minute. Now, there is not a double-blind RCT lockdown, convent, like for sure info here. That being said, um, you know, use of our intelligent colleagues out there and their clinical guidelines is going to be a help for you. And obviously it's situation dependent. So we need to pre these people somehow as they are primary lung problems that are happening right now. They're probably moving into ARDS. 
So we have to pre-auction them somehow, but let's do it the safest way we physically can. Those are the two I kind of really wanted to just key on. You want to know a little hack I did the other day? Oh. Alan's life hacks. Uh, so we all typically use those MDI spacers for kids and their puffers, but you can actually do it for an adult too. And it actually works quite well for an adult if they can't actually hold or uh, keep the spacer in their mouth. So if you actually use a spacer that actually has a round um, place for them to breathe the med, that actually connects really well into the mask of a BVM. And then there's your makeshift MDI with a mask that you use for kids. You just pop that on someone's face and you just hit that uh, the, the puffer and there you go. It's like a child. I swear if anybody steals that idea from us, we're going to be very upset because we want to be millionaires somehow and that might be it. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Now, the last little bit that we want to bring out for nursing considerations is that this is something we have not witnessed in human history yet, in the sense that the information that we are receiving and that we can transmit to each other is so much quicker than at any point in history. That's why the information is rapidly changing. So with that being said, expect that your systems will become creative and dynamic. And what we mean by that is that if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you are a critical care nurse or you're an emergency nurse or you are um, a specialist in, in one of these resuscitation fields. Or alternatively, you're curious to be uh, in, in one of the specialty fields in the future. Understand that those people with this extra body of education may actually no longer be at the bedside delivering nursing care. This could be a potential if it's a mass casualty. You may need to then oversee a team of nurses to look after the patients while you oversee a bigger picture, kind of like functioning as a charge nurse with many uh, teams that you're under. With, um, with, and then the chain gets bigger, it goes more narrow as you go up. Kind of similar to like mass casualty or code orange-like um, structures. Okay. No, totally agree. I think that we have to be flexible in these times as these are, you know, a little bit different of a situation and we need to, to um, rise to that occasion as, you know, the front of the coal face kind of people um, at being resus nurses. This is how it works. This is the, the reason why we've trained so hard in the past and, and have become so um, adapted to, to different situations. Absolutely. You may be looked at as a resource from other hospitals. So if you work in a large center, you may actually be doing teleconference or video helping the other nurses in the other sites. Totally. Okay, so thanks very much for listening. We really appreciate it. And I think the best overall arching message that we can give out is wash your fucking hands. Thanks for recess tonight. <laughs>